Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Watch podcast series. I'm John Briggs, Global Head of Death Strategy. This series helps you cut through the noise of global financial markets with a quick take on the upcoming trends to watch. Hello, everyone. While we're recording this podcast only on Thursday morning, at least U.S. time, it's already been quite a week. I say that because just yesterday, this past Wednesday, we saw an unexpected correction in cryptocurrencies, where at one point, Bitcoin and other digital coins were lower by 30 to 40 percent or more off a tweet from Chinese authorities cracking down on digital currencies. All right, why do I mention crypto on the weekly watch? Because in a week where otherwise most assets were really just chopping around waiting for more news, selling in digital seemed to spill over to other risk assets, well, which turned into U.S. equities at one point being off almost 2% when the digital currencies were at their low at the depth of selling. I'm not going to try to pretend to understand why digital there's why there's a direct correlation or connection between digital and just you know the broader U.S. equity market, but you know that in turn also spilled over into some buying of government bonds as risk suffered. Of course, commodity weakness led by oil, which is was lower on the back of potential Iranian crude coming back on the market if there's progress in Iranian nuclear deal didn't help, but that was an otherwise uneventful week and certainly got things going. Also out that Wednesday was some the Fed minutes where there was a very subtle shift that they could potentially move up talking about talking about tapering. As a reminder, we don't have uh, the taper being officially announced until September, but we always had this summer as a time where the Fed might start leading global central banks and talking about pulling back on accommodation or setting the stage to start talking about pulling back on accommodation. In a world where central banks are super cautious about messaging, incremental steps are actually important because it shows that the the central banks are starting to move in that direction. And again, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of this, but the minutes were an opportunity for the Fed, given the volatility in the data recently, especially around the U.S. jobs number, to really just kind of punt the football, as we say in the U.S., or, you know, delay the whole conversation. But there was a small shift there about more people wanting to talk about tapering asset purchases and bringing that conversation forward. So, you know, after seeing yields fall in the morning when, you know, we are at the depth of the equity and um, risk asset correction in the U.S., they actually rose and they have been, which is joining something that's been happening in Europe, um, which previously had that leadership. And I have Imogen Bakker, our European rate strategist here. We'll touch on Europe in a minute. And this is interesting because underlying all of the recent weakness and a broader picture, I think, that we've seen in risk assets away from the crypto excitement is this concern about inflation. Will the central banks react? Is, is this inflation uptick we're seeing in some of the data now, which we expected because of comparisons to last year? Is that real? Is it going to be durable? Is it going to be sustainable? And since we've seen inflation kind of picking up, not just in the U.S., but higher RPI inflation in the U.K., you know, this is bringing this concern more to the fore. So the fact that the Fed actually signaled that they may start talking about it sooner than we thought, again, incremental, we think that's important and should contribute to, to higher yields in the U.S., joining what's been some incrementally higher yields in Europe. So um, we do think this is a valid concern around inflation. And while, you know, the Fed is making these incremental gains, we do have to kind of step back and just not go too crazy on this because ECB is very far away and even the UK still has is very far away, but small steps can can cause uh, large movements as we've seen. So I'm going to use that to segue to my guest this week, which is European rate strategist Imogen Bakra. So Imogen, two questions for you. The first, what we've talked about, we're starting to see this this the bond yield creeping up, and it's actually nearing zero percent. 
Um, I think you guys have already hit where you thought it would go to in the second quarter. But do you think they're going to get to zero percent here in the next uh, few months or over what time frame? And will they keep going? Uh, well, the very easy answer is yes, we do um, to both of those questions. Um, you're right, we had a Q2 target of minus 0.1%. Um, so we're already through that as of, well, as of yesterday, they traded through that um, and then think that they can get to positive yields, um, you know, as, as soon as this summer, really. Um, and we have a year end target of um, positive 0.25%. So when we say there's further to go, we still think that there's kind of significant upside um, you know, yields are higher for all the right reasons that, that we've been talking about for a long time in terms of a, a repricing of uh, reflation expectations and, and the recovery theme in Europe. Um, but we view Europe as, as one of the markets that had the most repricing to do initially, particularly on the kind of inflation side. I think investors in Europe have been scarred by, um, well, a generation of, of low inflation, really. Um, and, and that has uh, been a difficult mindset to change. And therefore, we think that there's still um, some way to go in in terms of this repricing in Europe. In Europe, so yeah, on track for positive yields, we think by summer and then 0.25% um, by the end of the year in 10-year bonds. How does the ECB fall into all of this? Because a couple of months ago, they increased their purchases, you know, on the idea that they didn't want sovereign bond yields rising too fast. But now, you know, they're rising and it just feels like that. Is that instead of the ECB or do we think that this rise is still OK with them because the speed isn't high or it's not a volatile one? It hasn't happening in that big Q1 rate sell off that we saw globally. Um, how, do you, how do you think about the ECB in this context? So I think there's a a couple of differences between the rise in yields that we've seen in Europe this time around over the past, uh, you know, three weeks or so, and what we saw in Q1. What was happening in Q1 was Europe being dragged higher by the US, um, and it was a big shift higher in nominal yields, but not in um, real rates. Um, so inflation expectations were... Um, uh, weren't shifting at the same speed that, that nominal yields were rising. And what we've had this time around in Q2 is that, A, it's kind of endogenous European factors that are driving European yields higher. So they're not just being dragged higher by, by the global yields or, or by the US. And at the same time, the rise in nominal yields is, is being met by um, uh, repricing of inflation expectations as well. So real rates um, have actually stayed fairly constant. So if we're talking about the ECB and their um, looking at financial conditions as their um, kind of compass, as they call it, yes, nominal yields are much higher than when they uh, initiated this significantly higher purchase pace, but actually real yields um, aren't and and therefore financing conditions haven't tightened as much as you might think if you were only looking at the move in, in nominal rates. Okay, so I know um, another thing that we've been looking at is that we've been positive on the periphery, namely Italy. Will rising bond yields in Europe impact that view? I know it's been a relative view, but um, how does rising bond yields influence that? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest question that we get around our bullish periphery view is how do we marry that with a rising core rates view? Um, I think markets are probably concerned around um, what 
a recovery means for BTPs in particular and whether a recovery and therefore not needing Eurosystem support is actually better than no recovery and needing the support and, and getting it. Um, we think that, you know, the, the positives of a recovery scenario are better for Italy as a credit than being in a situation where you need the Eurosystem support. Um, but I think that's what the market is, is really working through now. Um, and the second point is around debt sustainability. You know, the market is, is worried about what um, or around this snowballing effect of Italy's debt in a rising rate environment. Um, we're putting out a note later with lots of detailed kind of calculations around this and, and how we've looked at it. But just to kind of sum up with the conclusion is that, you know, it, that isn't an issue in the kind of interest rate levels that we're talking about for Italy yet. We're still not in a scenario where you would expect to be anywhere close to um, being at risk of, of the snowballing effect in Italy's debt. And, you know, if we stress, if we look at kind of stress scenarios of weaker uh, GDP and, and inflation and what that means for the path of Italy's debt to GDP and deficit to GDP, even in our weak scenario analysis that we did, where you get growth falling by, uh, you know, to look less than 2% by 2024, Italy's debt is still stable, albeit at high levels, but, but still stable. So we really think these kind of concerns around debt sustainability in Italy, even in a tapering scenario, um, are overdone and, and they can still outperform against a backdrop of, of rising core rates. All right, great. Thanks for that, Imogen. That's all the time we have for this week. We look forward to speaking to you all next week. Thank you.